You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. I'm Pastor Danny. If you don't know who I am, we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, I just can't help but say something about, you know, the the reverse Christmas thing. Almost $5,000, amazing. We're spreading to, we started in Seaford. We're going to Laurel School District, Indian River School District, and even into Salisbury because of your giving. Thank you so much. And we're just so grateful for that. Justin Gillette, who leads this, uh, this enterprise, was telling me last year he was delivering gifts to, there's a, a motel in Laurel where they put homeless families, and Christmas morning, uh, he's going to deliver gifts there, and when he uh, gets here, the kids already know he's coming, and they're waiting for him in the parking lot, and they run out to him, and they open their gifts in the parking lot, and uh, so you're giving really, really is going to make some kids smile this Christmas. So thank you so much. Uh, a lot of years we give to the uh, Samaritan Purse thing, which is a great thing. But we really wanted this year to bless our community. And we just want to thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, before I get started today, uh, if you're looking for some Christmas gifts, my books are available to, to give to some families. And uh, hey, just a little little plug here. Um, somebody... Uh, uh, ordered this week 27 of this. This is my first book, What Am I Thinking? Uh, she visited the Fenwick Island campus this summer on vacation, read the book, and uh, was so encouraged by it that she ordered 27 of them this week for all of our family. They're going to be given out at Christmas. This is my last book, uh, Having Hope in a World Without Hope. And I wrote this during COVID. Very encouraging, easy read, uh, lots of great stories. And uh, we had a man from our Fenwick campus, or our our Rehoboth campus by 30 of these this last week to give to a, a ministry that he leads. So if you'd like to buy a book for your uncle or for your, uh, uh, for your you know, adult children or whatever, it's a great, these books are really an easy read and uh, they are uh, one for $10 or two for 10 or two for 20. So that's it, you know. Uh, <laughs> So that's how they're $10. So anyhow, if you want to get them, I'll be glad to sign one for you today for any relatives that you'd like to give a book to for Christmas. So that's my little Christmas advertisement. Today we're in our final uh, installment of a series called Whisper, where we've been talking about how to hear God's voice, how to listen to God, and we've been talking about guidance how to get guidance uh, for uh, our lives and all of that. And so last Sunday, I was speaking at the Rehoboth campus, and you guys heard the message here. And uh, last Sunday, we talked about how do you hear God's voice and how can you get guidance. And one of the ways that you get guidance is through internal peace, internal peace. When you're making a decision, it's imperative that you have peace inside. Now, you know, a lot of times we think about, as Westerners, we think about the facts. We want to know what the facts are. Uh, we want to think logically and analytically about things, and that's a good thing. You want to always look at the facts. You want to make sure you've done your research about a decision. Look at the pros and cons. Look at the cost evaluations. Always look at the facts. But uh, us that are followers of Jesus, we go a separ- uh, uh, another step, and you want to have that that accompany those facts accompanied by God's peace before you make a decision. Because sometimes we think we have all the facts, 
but we don't have all the facts. We don't know what's coming. Uh, We are not omniscient, which is a word that means all-knowing. God is all-knowing. So he knows not only what is going on right now, what has happened, but he also knows what is going to happen. So when you ask God for wisdom and you're trying to get guidance and you look at the facts and the facts seem to be really good, then you want to make sure that you have accompanied peace about that as well. So that's an important thing. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, review a couple of scriptures that we talked about last week. And uh, these scriptures kind of summarize this. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The word rule there means to govern. Let the Lord's peace govern your heart. So if you don't have peace, you're going to, you know, uh, make a decision and and it just seems to make sense in your head, but there's something wrong inside. Uh, You want to make sure you listen to that. And I talked last week about the Urim and the Thummim, which is something people don't think about a lot, but the high priest used to wear this ephod and a breast. Uh, piece and inside of that was a white and black stone and we don't know exactly what how the Urim and Thummim worked but we knew that that breastplate the Old Testament called it the uh, breastplate of decision making and the breastplate of course was over the heart and the stones the Urim and Thummim were over the heart so the heart sometimes you get a black stone sometimes you get a white stone And so you want to make sure that you make uh, good decisions based on that. Uh, Colossians 3.15, say it with me. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. One more time. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. So you want to look for that peace. How does God guide us? Through internal peace. And, uh, And then Isaiah 55 verse 12 says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. So how's, going to, how's God going to lead us? You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. So there's a whole bunch in Scripture about this. So you want to make sure that you really look for the peace of God. So whenever you make a decision uh, and you're a Christ follower, you love Jesus, you want to serve the Lord, you want to do what the Lord wants you to do, that's the difference between us and people in the world. We have this desire to please the Lord. We want to be people that submit to the Lord's authority in our life. So when you pray about a decision, just look for that peace inside. And uh, very, very good. Uh, here's one other little thing here. I've got this little, uh, little gra- not this little uh, kind of like uh, equation here. An open door plus harmony with the scripture plus internal peace equals God's will. An open door plus harmony with scripture plus internal peace equals God's will. God will never contradict himself. He will never tell you to do something, you know, that's contrary to his word. He's not going to lead you, to, if you're married, to have an affair with somebody. That, you know, you may think that's God's will, but it's not God's will because it's in conflict with God's word. So you've got to have the harmony there. So, so the first way we get guidance is through internal peace. So say it with me. The first way we get guidance is through internal peace. So that's very important. Let's say it one more time. And everybody at the Fenwick Island campus and everybody here at this campus, let's all say it together. The way we get guidance is through internal peace. So very important. Now, the next way that we get guidance is through our internal desires through our internal desires. Uh, God works in our desires. Uh, Here's what it says. Uh, Ben Wall Sr. said this. We know that God's voice can be heard in our desires 
If we stay close to God via daily prayer and Bible reading, that means that we can trust our wants to be the voice of God based on those conditions. So when you think about uh, deciding God's will, you look, first of all, at internal peace. And the second thing is you look at internal desires. What are the desires inside of you? What What does God put in your heart to do? We have this tendency to think that that God's will is going to be displeasing to us, that what God wants for us is going to be this horrible thing that we don't want to do, and, uh, you know, so we really don't even want to pray about it because, you know, what we want and what God wants are going to be two different things. We think like it's sort of like a, uh, you know, cage fight. I don't know if you ever watch cage fighting on TV. That's a pretty barbaric thing. You know, if you like cage fighting, you would be the people that were sitting in the Roman Colosseum during the gladiator game. I mean, that, we are those people, you know. It's just too much for me. I watch some of that stuff. And, I, you know, if you have a bad day as a cage fighter, it's not a good day. It's just not a good day. But, uh, you know, you can have a bad day at golf. You can have a bad day at a lot of things. But a bad day at a cage fight is not a good thing for you. But anyhow, when you think about a cage fight, you see uh, this conflict between two people. And sometimes I think we think that God's will and our desires are in conflict with each other. But could it be, could it be that God works inside of your desires? And it says in the Old Testament, this is a great psalm, that God gives us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, notice the qualification there. A person that takes delight in the Lord, and the word uh, to take delight in is the word for being pliable. You're, You're flexible before the Lord. You love Jesus. You're delighting in the Lord. You love the Lord. He's the first thing in your life. So when, you, when you, you delight yourself in the Lord, and you're submitted to the Lord, and Jesus is first in your life, God will give you the desires of your heart. He'll plant in your heart his will for you. That's an important, uh, important thing. My neighbor, Stan, is a wonderful man, Stanley Banks, great uh, neighbor, and uh, he plants a garden every year. And I do not plant a garden every year because Stan gives me stuff out of his garden. <clears throat> so I thought, you know, why should I plant a garden when Stan gives me stuff out of his garden, and uh, I see him out there working, and his son, his skin glistening with sweat, working, and I'm just go Stan, go Stan, because Stan's going to give me stuff out of his garden. But to think about this, when Stan plants a seed in the soil, the seed in the soil is planted by him, and that seed produces a plant. And when you think about your desires, who plants that desire in your heart? Are our desires self-initiated? Or does God in his grace plant desires in our hearts that are part of his guidance in our life? Uh, And so God sometimes puts in our heart, he plants in our heart a desire, a passion, an interest, an idea, and we think it's us, but that is really generated by the Lord. So some ideas... And some desires that are in your heart are really God guiding you, giving you the direction of your heart. You say, well, Pastor Danny, do you have any other uh, scriptures to support that? Well, I do. I have a couple. Proverbs 21, verse 1. This is a great one. The king's heart 
Heart is where your desires are, are resonant. The king's heart is, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. The uh, New Living Translation says it this way, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord, and he guides it wherever he pleases. So God guides the king's heart. God guides how the, the, the desires of the king so that his will is accomplished through the king. Then in Nehemiah, this is a really good one, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. There's a phrase in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, this phrase, God had put in my heart to do. God had put in my heart to do. Nehemiah 2.12 says this, I sat out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. Look at that. I said in my I set out during the night with a few others I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do so God put in the heart of Nehemiah a desire to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city now what was Nehemiah doing before this well this is a, a career change for Nehemiah Nehemiah uh, lived in Persia he was the uh, the the cupbearer for the king and that was, there wasn't a better job than that, the cupbearer for the king. Uh, what Nehemiah did was is that every day he would hang out with the king, and he would, uh, the king, when the king wanted some wine, Nehemiah would take the wine and swirl it in the glass, and he would smell it, and he would look at it, and then he would taste the wine, and then he would give it to the king. And the reason he did that was because he was trying to prevent, if there was any poison in the wine, uh, he would know it was poison before he gave it to the king. So it was a great job. It was a wonderful, wonderful job, uh, you know, hanging out with the king, drinking wine all day. That's a pretty good job. And uh, he, was having a good, he was having a good job, and that was all good. You know, unless you had one of those bad days where there was poison then it would be a really bad day but Nehemiah heard about the condition of the city of Jerusalem his brother Hananiah had gone to Jerusalem and came back and told Nehemiah how awful the city was the city's walls are torn down things are awful in the city and and uh, and so God put in Nehemiah's heart a desire to leave that good job and go to Jerusalem. Now notice how did God guide Nehemiah? God didn't guide Nehemiah by sending an angel, or he didn't see a burning bush like Moses. What Nehemiah had was a seed dropped in his heart from God. And he had this idea, this, this uh, motivation to go to Jerusalem. So God put in Nehemiah's heart what he was supposed to do. So God sometimes puts in your heart what you're supposed to do. So when you're trying to figure out God's will and you are submitted to Jesus and you're following Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, uh, what are you, how do you find God's will? Sometimes you just need to settle down and just get quiet and say, what is it inside that I really am motivated to do? And maybe that idea came from the Lord. Here's another one. Ezra 7.27 says, this is about King Artaxerxes, uh, Ezra 7.27, Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart 
to bring honor to the house of the Lord. And the whole, I could give you the whole background of that story, but King Artaxerxes uh, gave uh, Ezra the go-ahead to go to, to, uh, to Jerusalem and help you know, facilitate the temple, and the government was going to pay for certain things. And it was in the king's heart to do that. And it says it wasn't just the king randomly coming up with that idea. It wasn't just the king like, hey, this would be a good thing to do. What it was was that the Lord put into the king's heart to do this. And here's one more New Testament example. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. And for Titus has not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And so Titus goes with Paul to Corinth. And he has this burden to minister at uh, Corinth and help Paul in the ministry there. So it says, thanks be to God. Who has put, who put in Titus's heart? It was God who put into the heart of Titus what he was supposed to do. So that's an important thing. One other for scripture Jeremiah 31, and this uh, is quoted in the New Testament as well. The New Covenant and the Old Testament, when the New Covenant was promised, uh, the New Covenant where, you know, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments out here, we should do that, you know, we should try to do what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments were external, uh, but God says, I'm going to make a new commandment. There's going to be a new covenant, and the commandments aren't going to be written on an external stone but the commandments, my will is going to be written on your heart. So not simply, you know, we ought to do the Ten Commandments. Uh, God says in the New Covenant, when the Holy Spirit comes and he regenerates us and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus comes into our life, that there is written on our hearts a desire to do the will of God. So here's how this reads. Look at this. This is how God guides us. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law. The law could be, we could uh, say that I'm going to put my will in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. The New Living Translation says it this way, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. So here's what I want you to get. I want you to get when you're trying to figure out how's God guiding me, how's He directing me. Well, here's one of the ways He directs you He writes His will on your heart. He writes His will on your heart. How do I know that what I'm, what I'm doing is God's will? You know, being up here preaching today. Uh, here's how I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, you know, I absolutely love, I love to study and research God's, God's word. I love it. I love it. I mean, 10, 12 hours a day, that's not a burden for me to do word studies, to look at the Greek, to look at the Hebrew, to read commentaries. And you say, Pastor Danny, that sounds like the most boring life in the world to do that. But it's written on my heart. It's what I'm passionate about. And so when you follow your passions, here's an interesting little connection. What you're passionate about, you follow your passion, your passion will always lead you to your spiritual gift. What you're excited about, what you love to do, you follow that passion and it will always lead you to your spiritual gift. My spiritual gift is teaching. So my passion is studying and researching and all that. And so you can follow, I can follow my passion directly to my gift of teaching.
So your, your passion will always lead you to your gift. And that's what you're supposed to do in life. My son, Tim, when he was growing up, uh, he, he loved to do things with his hands. He liked to design things. We, every Christmas, he would want to get Legos for Christmas. We'd get him the biggest, most sophisticated Lego system you could get. And he would open it on Christmas morning, and 20 minutes later, he'd have it all together. Have it all together. I mean, he just loved to build things and to design things. He's a designer now. He works for Shell Brother Company, and he's got his own side thing he does. He does all these things, and he's making a lot of money, and now he's going to take care of Karen and I when we get older. That's what we're banking on. But he, you know, he, has a, he always had a gift for lines and numbers and how to do that. He had it as a little kid. And you could see it in the Legos, and you trace it, and you could trace a spiritual gift. Do you know in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, there's a spiritual gift for craftsmanship where, where there were certain men in the Old Testament that were anointed by God to design the parts of the tabernacle and they were anointed to make things with their hands. So your passion will lead you to your gifting and your passion and gifting will lead you to God's will for your life. So listen to this. Let me give you some, some little uh, practical advice here. Never, ever try to become good at something you're bad at. Never try to become good at something you're bad at. If you're bad at it, you're bad at it. Try to become great at something you're naturally good at. Try to become great at something you're naturally good at. So when you think about your, God's direction for your life, you want to think about how has God gifted me? What is my passion? When uh, years and years ago uh, at our church here, there was a little nine-year-old boy that was uh, sitting in the back one night when we were having a prayer meeting. We were all praying in here and a bunch of adults. We were just seeking the Lord about the Lord's will. And this little nine-year-old boy named Donnie sitting in the back. Donnie was listening to us pray and he, was, uh, he had a heart for the Lord as a little kid. And he opened his heart to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want to do for me? What do you want to do through me? And he was just asking the Lord about that. And he felt like that night the Lord told him that he was going to be a missionary. And, uh, and he just had such a heart for people. What God was really saying to Donnie is that, Donnie, I've given you a compassion for people, and you're going to help people. Donnie was also really good at math, and he was really good at science. And so Donnie went to Delmore High School, and after Delmore High School, he went to college, and then he went to medical school, went to the University of Maryland Medical School. And right now, uh, Donnie Ellis is uh, in, the, in Durham, North Carolina, and he's a, a, a pediatrician for, uh, the, uh, for the Duke University Hospital. And started right back there, nine years old, heard God say, I want you to help people. His gifting were science and math, and he followed that. And Donnie goes and does these mission trips and helps people, uh, and he's a doctor, and, and his gifting... His gifting uh, was really where he was called. So say this with me. My passion will lead me to my gifts, and my gifts and my passion will lead me to God's will. So very, very important thing. Uh, so God works through our internal desires. So I only got a little bit of time left here, about 13 minutes, so let's talk about another way. So how does God lead us? He leads us through internal peace. He leads us through internal desires. And finally, he leads us through external circumstances. 
He leads us through external circumstances. And uh, this, is, uh, this is one of my favorite parts of this teaching. Um, he leads us through external circumstances. Now, there's a great story. If you haven't read this story in the Old Testament, now, the Bible is never, ever boring. If anybody tells you the Bible's boring, now, there are parts of Chronicles that you want to jump off a cliff. I'll give you that. <laughs> but the Bible is so exciting. And I love it. Uh, one of the great stories, the great, great stories in the, in the Old Testament is the book of Ruth. It's about uh, a woman named Ruth. And uh, she met a Jewish family that came from uh, Bethlehem, from Judea, because there was a famine in the land. And this goes way back, thousands and thousands of years ago. She, uh, she meets this family that comes from the land of Bethlehem. They, they moved to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. And when they get to Moab, uh, Naomi is the mother, uh, and she has a man that she's married to by the name of Elimelech, and she has two sons, Mahalon and Kilion. And as this Jewish family interacts with the people of Moab, uh, Elimelech sadly dies in the story, so Naomi is a widow. But her two sons marry Moabite women, and they marry these Moabite women, and, uh, and then sadly the two sons die. So you got Naomi left with two daughter-in-laws. And she starts to go back to Bethlehem because she hears that things are better in Bethlehem economically. So she starts on the way, and Orpah, one of the women, drops out. And then Ruth said, you need to go back to your family and go back to your people. And here's, here's this great thing that she says. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or forsake you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And she goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi, and she doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know anybody. She goes to Bethlehem, doesn't know anybody. And what's her future going to be? Well, one day she goes out to glean. And they have this thing in Israel, this thing, if, you, if, a, if a woman becomes a widow, a member of her family should marry her, and she should uh, raise up uh, offspring to keep the, the man, the, keep the family name alive. And so it's called the Leverite marriage. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but that's part of the thing, part of the story. And it says in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, so she went out, this is Ruth, went out, and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So it's harvest time, and Ruth needs to get some food for her and Naomi. And she goes out. There's all these fields in Bethlehem, all these fields. But she goes out, and she happens, the King James says, she happens upon a field. In the Hebrew, it means she lucked upon a field. It just looked like a field to her. She came onto this field, and she starts to glean some of the crops that the harvesters had left that was allowed in Israel. And it happened to be owned by a guy by the name of Boaz that she didn't know was one of their relatives. And she met Boaz. Boaz was older than her. And to make a long story short, they're checking each other out while they're working in the field. And Boaz and Ruth fall in love, and they get married because she happened upon a field. Because she just happened to go to this field. And they fall in love, and they have a, they have a baby together. And the little baby is a boy, and the baby is Obed. 
And Obed grows up and Obed has a family and Obed has a bunch of kids. And one of his kids is by the name of Jesse. And Jesse grows up and Jesse gets married and Jesse has a bunch of kids. He has one son, he has two sons, he has three sons, he has four sons, he has five sons, he has six sons, he has seven sons, he has eight sons. And the eighth son was a little boy named David who became King David. And when you read the Gospel of Matthew and you read the genealogies, you read this in the genealogies. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Because she happened upon a field. There is this thing called unconscious guidance where God is guiding us even if we are not aware that he's guiding us. You know, I don't know if you know this, that right now that this planet we live on is spinning on its axis a thousand miles an hour. Right now. And you don't even feel it. The planet you live on is spinning right now about a thousand miles an hour. And it's headed through space 67,000 miles an hour. And you're not even aware of it. And that means on a day that you feel like you didn't get much done, that you have traveled 1,608,000,000 miles. <laughs> so never say, I didn't get much done today. And you're not even aware. You're not even aware that all that's happening. See, God is sovereign, and he's Lord, and we're trying to find his will out, and he's so pleased that we're doing that, and we're trying to hear him, and we're trying to get peace, and we're trying to get the desires, we're trying to understand that, and he's all a part of that process, but in the midst of all the confusion we have about God's will, he is still directing our paths, and he is still Lord of our future. He is guiding us even when we don't know he is guiding us. When I was ninth grade, uh, my dad was a Methodist pastor and we served a, a, a charge of churches that aren't too far from here, uh, pretty close to where I am right now speaking. And we got transferred to a, a Methodist church in Blades, Delaware. I was ninth grade, and I didn't really want to live in Blades, but we lived in Blades. We lived next door to the church, and it wasn't something I was excited about. But anyhow, it was you know, a part of my life. My dad was a pastor, so we relocated, and I was living in Blades, Delaware as a ninth grader next to the church there. And, and the first Sunday I went to church there, I uh, went to the Sunday school class. They had Sunday school before, uh, before church, and so I went, and I sat in this little rundown section of the Methodist church there and petitioned off area for Sunday school, and I'm sitting in there where the students are supposed to meet. And I'm sitting there, and I was kind of nerdy, you know, to be honest with you. And there was another guy that was nerdier than I was, and I thought, boy, this is going to be wonderful. And uh, <laughs> so I remember sitting there, and then all of a sudden, these three beautiful girls walk in. 
three knocked down, gorgeous, beautiful girls walked in. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> this ain't so bad after all. And the girl in the middle was the prettiest of them all. And her name was Karen. And five years later, through much pleading and begging on my part, she married me. <laughs> and people say, you know, how have you stayed at Bayshore for 40 years? I said, it's simple. People love Karen. They love Karen. <laughs> and you know what? You say, you say, do you believe, do you believe that you were sent as a ninth grader to Blades United Methodist Church and you were sent to that church because that was where you met the perfect wife and the perfect wife to be a pastor's wife to serve this church for 40 years. And I would just have to say, absolutely. I wasn't even conscious that God was guiding me. And while I was at that church, I met my best friend, Sammy Fisher, who was a heathen and didn't know Jesus and I led Sammy to the Lord and Sammy met the Lord and Sammy is a pastor in Tyler, Texas now and Sammy leads a mission organization and he's going to Romania in January to do mission work and while I was in that church, the earth spinning around, not even aware that God was guiding me, he was guiding me because there is this thing called unconscious desire, unconscious guidance, and Ruth had it. She just happened upon a field. And because she happened upon a field, she became the great-grandmother of King David. God is always at work. And, and some of, there's somebody listening to me this morning. You feel like the Lord... Is not guiding you, and the Lord is not with you, and the Lord is not watching over you. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord is guiding you, even though you feel like He's left you, even though you feel like He's forsaken you, even though you feel like He's abandoned you. The Lord has not forsaken you, and the Lord has not abandoned you because the Lord has His hand on your life, and He's guiding you, even when you don't know that He is guiding you. So I can. I can walk in the peace of the Lord. I can watch and walk in the grace of the Lord. And I can know that God is providential. God is sovereign. You say, well, where does free will fit into all this? I believe in free will. I believe in all that. I believe that there's choices we make. But at the end of the day, I'm telling you, there's an overarching, mysterious plan of the, of the God of the universe who loves you and has a plan for your life. And no power of hell can thwart that plan he has for you because he loves you and he cares about you. Would you say this way? Put your hand over your heart. and Would you say this? God is guiding me. God is directing me even when I'm not conscious of it. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to minister to you right now as we walk in, come into a new year. There's some good things ahead for some of you, some wonderful things that are ahead for you, some providential things that you could never pull off on your own. And he's got some wonderful things for you. Now, Father, we thank you that we can be at peace we can be at rest 
We can be secure in you because you're guiding us. You're guiding us in our peace inside. You're guiding us in our desires, but you're guiding us even when we're blind to that fact. And we thank you that you are a good God, that you work in us to will and act according to good purpose. And I pray the peace of God, the grace of God upon folks that are here today. Let them go into a new year as we come to the end of this year. We thank you that we're going to go into a brand new year experiencing your peace and your love, knowing that you're directing us and guiding us. Jesus, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let the Holy Spirit touch you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, you're here today by divine appointment. You're here not by accident. You felt like somebody invited you and here you are. But you just need to open up your heart and say, Jesus, I've been making such a mess of my life, and now I open my heart to you. And I invite you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins, and he will do that for you. Lord, we ask your blessing on all of us as we worship you and serve you this week. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.